Hello and welcome into this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. Well, that was an ex- unexpectedly wild week in the world of golf. Anthony Kim resurfaces, Nick Dunlap turns pro, and a Frenchman wins on tour in what continues to be, Rex, the year of the long shot. You are back from Connecticut and all packed up for Pebble Beach. First of all, how's it going? Uh, glad to be back. It was really, really cold and uncomfortable. Got snowed on a little bit that last morning, Friday morning, when I woke up early. Um, it, it's a lovely place, I'm sure. Like I, I'm, I've been told it's a lovely place. I'm, we're talking about Connecticut. Um, I've never been there when it's not freezing cold and snow on the ground. So I'm, I even like, I, I, I forced myself to get out of the hotel on Thursday afternoon and just sort of walk around. I was actually standing in Greenwich. Like I need to see this place. Like I, I just which is beautiful. Greenwich, Connecticut, one of the best places to live in the country. Let's be very it, clear. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I've been told a lot. I and like it was just cold and it was miserable. I think I sent you some snappy chats. Like it was just, it was foggy and gross. And you're like, man, like this is what we're doing, right? So we're we're just gonna we're just gonna sit around and pretend like the sun doesn't exist for six months. Is that that we, we do here? Um, but it was fun to do the show. I did want to say, and you'll back this up. We we work with a lot of really really talented folks. At the Golf Channel, a lot of folks I love being on TV with, Todd Lewis, Steve Sands, uh, you. I will say this. No one is better to be on TV with than Damon Hack. He is the easiest person to ever do a TV show with, especially a four-hour TV show, which is what we did Wednesday, which was a marathon session. But he uh, he makes it easy, and it was a lot of fun. Not even a professional TV person, Damon Hack. Like He cut his teeth no. just as you and I have cut our teeth, newspapers, magazines, uh, and now uh, I'm with you. Uh, absolutely one of my favorite co-workers here at Golf Channel. Didn't have enough great things to say. Hopefully you did not do, Rex, all of your sightseeing in Connecticut since you will be back in just a couple weeks' time, uh, Genesis Invitational Week, where I'll be on site at Riviera. Hopefully you've left uh, at least something to do uh, over the next couple of weeks. Real quick, guys, this is the first week that we'll be doing uh, the Wednesday podcast as well, in addition to this Sunday record. Uh, over the next couple of days, we could have some updates on both the PJ Tours deal with the Strategic Sports Group, as well as, finally, uh, the final live roster for 2024 as their season does kick off this week at Mayakoba. Speaking of which, somehow, somehow, speaking of live, Anthony Kim. Anthony Kim has not played since 2012. He's actually barely been seen since 2012. And yet, uh, as Golf.com first reported and then was backed up uh, by our buddy Bulldog Mark Schlebaugh of ESPN, Anthony Kim is at least in discussions with both the PG Tour and Liv about making a professional comeback. Rex, what are your initial impressions of that report? I the least interesting thing to me is where he lands. Like I, I know that was the headline, and I know good for for golf.com and good for Bulldog for getting it. And the headline is, you know, I don't know, AK is floating with Liv Golf, whatever the case may be. That's the least interesting part of the story. In my mind, wherever it is, he lands, he lands like we've, we've done this. We've been there like it, that's not anything that really is compelling to me. The compelling part is my son texted me on Thursday afternoon. My junior in college texted me asking who is Anthony Kim and why is he trending? Keep in mind, Anthony Kim last played a tour event 12 years ago. My son was eight years old. Therefore, he has no idea who this urban legend is. That's the interesting part of the story. I couldn't come up with a comp in any sport. Forget about just golf. Like, give me a comp where someone at that level of the game that wasn't close to retirement, like I'm not talking about Tom Brady coming back. That's that's a different animal. Give me someone who was in their prime, which AK was, granted injuries, 
but someone who's in their prime that walked away for 12 years, a dozen years. Nick Dunlap, he was in, I think I did this right, third grade. Anthony Kim last played at PGA Tour event. The PGA Tour's newest member, Nick Dunlap, by the way. Second most important story of the week. Uh, Jordan Spieth was a freshman at Texas. Like, I can keep going on and on and on. It just it has never happened before. Anthony Kim is this urban legend that, you know, he's Kaiser Sose, kind of dating myself with that reference. I know. But all we've seen for the last dozen years are grainy pictures of him walking into a coffee shop in L.A. It's like Bigfoot. Yeah. Like, and now he's coming back. And look. I think both of us have talked to people. I've certainly talked to people inside Anthony's camp camp over the years. And the conversation always goes the same way. Yeah. He's hitting balls one day and he's excited and thinking about a comeback. And then the next day it's like, no, nah, I'm good. Like I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, whatever that is. No one is hundred percent sure whatever it is he's been doing for the last 12 years. I, I find it fascinating that this is, this would be unprecedented. I can't imagine how he pulls it off. Like, I don't know how you walk away from something that's that difficult that requires that much talent and that much work and that much effort and come back and land right where he hoped to land, where we left off 12 years ago. But man, what a story. Uh, what a story. It does seem like with each, with each year that passes, like his, his accomplishments, his notoriety, like it seems to get exaggerated hmm. with time. Like we're, we're, we are talking about a three-time PGA Tour winner. We are talking about a player uh, who thumped uh, Sergio Garcia in singles at the 2000 and eight Ryder Cup, like he he blazed uh, he he blazed a very hot trail for the very short time that he was on the PJ Tour, which was just four seasons before uh, he mysteriously walked away after some injuries. Uh, and so, the the interesting thing to me now is 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 can he still compete? He's thirty eight years old, so you know, actually compared to his PJ Tour peers, like he's almost past his prime. The prime for, for PGA Tour players keeps getting younger and younger. You're probably in that 28 to 32 sweet spot uh, if you're in your athletic prime, and he is he is well past that. And so does he still have the goods to compete against the world's best? Uh, I'm probably skeptical. And the, the skeptic in me also wonders, why now? What, why now at this point would he want to return to professional golf? Uh, in both of those reports, golf.com and ESPN, uh, they, they outline how the sticking point is Anthony Kim's insurance policy reportedly valued somewhere between 10 and $20 million. If he were to make a return to competitive golf, he would have to pay all or most of that back. And so in that sense, I know you're not interested in where Anthony Kim lands in that sense, though, live golf does make a lot of sense for Anthony Kim. A, they can give him a lot of the money up front. B, he can play as much or as little as he wants as one of their wild card picks and, and see he's guaranteed as long as he tees it up, he's guaranteed to, to make at least $200,000 per appearance because that is last place money uh, on live golf. And so that side of the equation makes a lot of sense, but if you're the PJ tour, I mean, you desperately want AK back as well. They have lost, a, they have lost a lot of personalities Rex over the past couple of years to live golf whether it's Bryson, whether it's Brooks, whether it's Phil, whether it's kind of the villain figure of Sergio Garcia or, or Patrick Reed, they, they all have, I would say, varying degrees of competitiveness at this point, but there's no discounting that people at least had opinions about those players and they wanted to see them for, for, for better or for worse. And I would put AK in that same category as well. I would as well. It, 
if you go back five, six, seven years ago, we were, I'm sure we were having a similar conversation about AK at some point, just because, again, he was this wonderful urban legend that we kept waiting and watching and hoping he would come back. When we first started having these conversations, again, six years ago, when you talked about an insurance policy of $10 million or $20 million, whatever the case may be, a lot of gray area on that one. That was a lot of money back then. Now, the reality we live in, I mean, I don't know about you, when it comes to that level of the game, $10 million seems like kind of, is it, is it really worth either not doing what you want to do? It seems because now we're dealing with monopoly money. Now we're dealing with everything has a dollar figure attached to it and has a lot of zeros. And $10 million is a lot of money. But if you're an Anthony Kim, as we've seen with so many players, it's not that much. If, if Liv Goff really wants them, then I'm sure they can make that right. I would counter and say I don't necessarily agree with you and say that Liv Goff is the obvious choice if this is just about mitigating that loss of $10 million or $20 million. Because... The way it works on the PGA Tour now, he would get plenty of sponsor exemptions. He'd get plenty of opportunities to make up that money. Like It wouldn't be guaranteed. It wouldn't be up front. But you have the opportunities to certainly make at least that much, if not more. Like the money part, again, doesn't even interest me. It, it This is all about, like, you, you saw the same video of a swing, I'm sure, earlier this week. And it looks fine. But that was a, my- that was a date. That was a dated video from five years ago. Uh, our friend Ryan French of Monday, uh, Q-Info, uh, he... He 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 backed up his reporting, said it was incorrect, and that was actually from five years ago at the Madison Club. So it was not that was not a recent swing video, but by all well, indications, he is, still- he is he is he is ramping up his training. And, and let's don't ignore it. You pointed out he's 38 years old. He also had a lot of injuries that made him walk away from the game 12 years ago. There was a there was surgery, I believe it was a back surgery. There was tendonitis in his left elbow and his left wrist. Like there's there were a lot of things that was sort of building up and compiling and he probably wasn't taking care of himself like he needed to at that point in time. I, I just don't see how this happens, but man, it's much watch TV. Like I'm not turning away. I'm not blinking. I'm, I'm not missing any minute of it. If it happens. I mean, it'd be a great story to cover as a 36 year old who, who, you know, really enjoyed watching Anthony Kim when I was growing up and just getting into golf media. Like I started in 20, 2010 and he was already off the tour uh, by 2012, so I didn't even really cross paths uh, in, in that respect. Like you, 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 you want to cover Anthony Kim's comeback, but as a golf fan, I'm not sure you actually want him to come back. He has like this cult hero status. He, he, it's only been exaggerated over time. If this, if he comes back and he plays poorly, like all of the the childhood memories that we had from from a, a decade or two ago, uh, I feel like there there's a there's a potential for this story uh, to just kind of peter out. And I don't think that's fun for any golf fan. Like, I'm not sure we actually want him to come back. No, I I get what you're saying. And I guess I can, I can romanticize it enough to to agree with you. I did cover AK. I actually wrote a a feature on him, his rookie year. And I remember sitting on a hill overlooking uh, the La Quinta course. And we sat down and did like a 30 minute interview, just kind of talking. And he came about the game in a very unique way. I mean, it, his issues with his dad, who was very demanding and very tough on him when he was a junior and in college are pretty well documented. So I don't know, like after the fact, after I did that story, after he has the career he has, after he walks away and disappears, it became easier for me to wrap my mind around most of the players that you and I interview, most of the stories that we tell are stories about passion. Like guys just love this game. Like if you don't like the game, you're probably not going to last very long in it. Like you just thoroughly enjoy doing this. You thoroughly enjoy competing. I always question from the moment I wrote that story, his rookie year, how much he actually loved the game. Like this is what was expected of him. 
mm-hmm. liked I mean he liked the fame, he liked the attention that yes. was associated with it. But is is he a Scotty Scheffler who plays every single day or Justin Thomas who has lived and breathed and slept golf for the, for all of his 30 years on earth? Probably not. Different Probably different, not. different cats, different cats. And that's tough when you're 38 years old. Like I think you and I both know enough players who once they get to 38 if they don't have that passion still, you're not going to be able to compete. Like you, you, you have to love not just going to the golf course and grinding away, but going to the gym, going to therapy, doing all the little things at 38 years old, you have to do because the 18 year olds you're now competing against are going to whip you. If you don't do that again, that's why I'm not sure we want him to come back. If he comes back and falls flat on his face, uh, it's just kind of a sad ending to what has otherwise been a mysterious cult figure. Uh, in the game. I don't think anything is imminent on that front, uh, but we could certainly see something maybe over the next couple me. months. Uh, how about Rex, a player who will be on the PJ tour this week is a full fledged card carrying member. That of course is Nick Dunlap. You and I went deep on his decision last week on the podcast. I was one who, even though I knew deep down, he would be uh, ridiculous to, to turn down the opportunities, both financial and playing over the next couple of months. Selfishly, I kind of wanted to see him return to college golf uh, just because I thought that it potentially set him up longer term. Didn't happen that way. He said it was the easiest, hardest decision he has ever had to make. Easy because he now is into the signature events, uh, that lucrative series, uh, the second of which is this week at Pebble Beach for the remainder of the season. And he's exempt on tour through 2026. The hard part, saying goodbye to his coaches saying goodbye to his teammates at the halfway point of the season. But now, Rex, that Nick Dunlap is on tour, that he is going to have a, a, a full playing slate for the remainder of 2024, what do you think he can actually do now for the rest of this PG Tour season? I'm going to pull, uh, peel back the curtain a little bit here because apparently uh, your lovely wife, Amy, doesn't understand the construct here. The, the construct between the two of us is we, we have fun. And we like to needle each other, and whether if that's on this podcast or we're lucky enough to do it on air. Or last week, I did take a couple pot shots, and apparently your wife did not like. What didn't she didn't like me making fun of you that you had a golf cart? Was that it that she didn't like? No, she said that you, yeah, you that you that you trashed our uh, Georgia logoed golf cart, uh, and she also took great offense that you called it a four seater. Uh, what it is fact? Yeah. It's a six seater. Is it is it is a, a, a six seater and is great for the community. That, uh, yeah, that, that is completely uh, understandable. And I, I should be slapped on the wrist about that. But she certainly she understands the construct of we like going back and forth. And by that, I use this as an example. That is by word, by far, one of your worst takes ever that Nick Dunlap should stay in college. I think we can all agree with that. As I recycled it as the week went on and on and on, because that's all we talked about for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, pretty much was Nick Dunlap and the idea that somehow. My friend Ryan Ladner seems to think it's best if he goes back to school. And we can all agree that in this particular case, no. Like if it was a different time, different era, maybe I could have understand where you're coming from. Not right now. Not by any stretch of the imagination. I wrote so, a, I wrote, I wrote a column. I wrote a you? column on, on GolfChannel.com. I didn't see that. Kind of going into his decision and why it was so difficult. And that you could understand why he was so emotional. You could understand why he was teary-eyed during that press conference. Because I'm it, just it, it was it's a bad day. It was really, it was really tugging at him, and you could tell that his life had just gotten uh, uh, demonstrably changed overnight. And I saw a great uh, example on Twitter where if you're, if you're, if you're a, a, a pre med student, 
right? And you saw uh, someone suffer a heart attack on the street and you, you had to help uh, resuscitate them. You had to get them uh, into the EMT uh, and you eventually saved their life. And someone saw that. If a doctor saw that and said, you know what? You did a phenomenal job. We're making you a doctor right now. Pack up your stuff and let's go. Let's 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 go to Phoenix, and we're gonna we're gonna work at we're gonna work at uh, uh, a, some some sort of hospital immediately. Your life had changed. You have friends. You have a you have a routine. You have a schedule. You have goals. You have uh, if if you're if you're a college student, you've got formals coming up. Like there is everything that you want to do. And nothing, nothing in your mind said, I'm about to turn pro and have my life demonstrably change. It's going to change overnight. Quite frankly, you're just, you're just not ready for that to happen. Now, I did like the fact that Nick Dunlap pulled out of the farmer so he could make this decision. But look, he's, he's jumping headlong into his career right now. I, I do think that there will be an adjustment period, just his life getting turned upside down. He's not going to be used to playing... Uh, this much because the college schedule just doesn't allow for that. Of course, as a essentially a, a rookie on the PGA Tour, these are all courses that he's seeing for the first time. But I do think that this is kind of a, a different example, Rex, and why I'm kind of bullish on Nick Dunlap for the rest of the season, not just because he just won on the PGA Tour, but the fact that when you look at the kids who are going to be turning pro after the NCAA championship in late May, early June, whether it's Michael Thorne Bjornsson, whether it's Gordon Sargent, those guys – the, the the clock is already starting on them where they have to take advantage immediately of the limited opportunities that they're going to have either through sponsor exemptions, PJ tour use status, whatever the case may be. That's not the case for Nick Dunlap. He now has a cushion. He now has an opportunity to learn. If he posts a couple of T 45s, I don't think anyone is going to particularly care. The, the rest of the season is, is gravy. It's a bonus. And I think that's very beneficial for a 20-year-old coming out uh, on the PJ Tour at this point in time. Well, and that's why the take was so bad. Like, again, this isn't five years ago when if you won, if you got if you had got on a hot run as an amateur, you had to make a choice. Do I, do I want to play the Masters? Do, do I want to hang around and try to play NCAA? Phil won on the PGA Tour as an amateur. He went back, not not just Phil Mickelson didn't have to, have to worry about any of the signature events. That That's the difference now. The difference now is the clock was running from the moment he won the American Express. He essentially had five days to make this choice. Because if not, you weren't going to maximize what you were going to get. By that, I mean... If he took up membership right now, he was going to get into every signature event, including Pebble Beach, which starts this week. And so that's why he had to commit. I will pull back the curtain a little bit more as well. You watch the press conference. I think a lot of people watch the press conference from Tuscaloosa. Uh, and I will say this. I don't remember that ever happening before either. And I'm not even saying like everyone, everyone, when I brought this up, said, hello, world and Tiger Woods. No, that was. No, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was essentially, it was essentially like a college quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't ever remember that happening to any player. And I don't think like, look, some people are going to think I'm I'm bagging on Nick Dunlap. I don't think that's the way he would want to do it at all. If I if I guess Nick Dunlap had his choice, he would just assume put something on social media and be done with it. This was probably he got some good advice. And he, however, there was some anxiety going into that press conference because we were going to run it live on golf today. And suddenly there was a lot of questions going on because he was kind of late getting to the, you know, getting to the stage and everyone, there was a lot of speculation about, well, maybe he's not turning pro. I think we all assumed, okay, he's holding a press conference. He's going to play pebble. So suddenly all of these things started cropping up. None of those things happened and you can figure out what they were, but it is interesting to your point. I, I actually am bullish. 
and not just because he won the American Express. It's how he won the American Express. It's not as though you saw any real weaknesses. Like, look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I spent a lot of time picking apart Nick Dunlap's game when he was at Alabama. But just what I saw at the American Express, there were no weaknesses. Like, and I keep going back to Victor Hoblet. Like, when he came out of college, he was really good. And he's one of those guys that was touched by the hand of God, with one exception. Short game, needed to get better. As we've talked about endlessly on this podcast, he's turned that into one of the better parts of his game. I don't see any parts of the game. Now, maybe, Ed, to your point, it becomes a grind for him. You're right. This isn't college anymore. Like, he's going to have to play a lot of events over the next few months, and we'll get a better look and better gauge of exactly who he is. But right now, I don't see a weakness. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, he has he has all the tools. He has, he has maximum ball speed with the driver. He's a very good iron player. Uh, I think most notably about him, uh, talking to some of uh, his his coaches, talking to some of his teammates, like this is one of the best putters they've ever seen. We obviously saw that with his record-setting performance uh, at PJ West, but I think that can that can save him uh, for some of these golf courses if his ball striking isn't quite up to snuff. He has just such a tidy short game, uh, and so I do think there'll be a little bit of a learning curve over the next couple of months. But it's going to be very fun to see him, just as it's going to be very fun to see the Gordon Sargents of the world and the Michael Theobjordsons of the world as well. Sausage finger, please. Sausage finger. Thank you very much. I think you usually transition to that by saying sausage finger. It's one of your favorite things to do. I will come back around. And again, this is by way of apology to your uh, wonderful wife, Amy. Of all your takes, that, that was a bad take. I will say that I actually gave you a monsoon of love last week because I have come to the realization that we need to have more Wednesday through Saturday golf tournaments. And that was yours from a few years ago. I'm a huge fan. Like, look, we're not going to do it in the middle of the summertime when there's no football. If there's ever football, whether it's Saturday football or Sunday football, why don't we just do Wednesday through Saturday? Because that's glorious. I mean, we need it. I, I would put the entire first month of the season on this Wednesday through Saturday schedule. And look, there's still going to be stuff that's going on on Saturday. They have the, the college football playoff game, which tends to fall on a Saturday. You're still going to have the wild card and the divisional round. That's falling on Saturday. So there is going to be some conflict. I just don't see any PJ Tour uh, event realistically going to a, a Tuesday through Friday to avoid it outright because there's just, you're not just going to get the attendance numbers on site that you really want to get. But to actually clear the deck on Sunday is just, it's phenomenal. Yep. That's, a, that's, that, that's what you love to see. Now, we did Rex have golf, as you mentioned, on Saturday and it was finishing up. In prime time from Torrey Pines, where you and I have spent a lot of time, and an unlikely winner with Matthew Pavon. It's actually a very good story. A journeyman type, 31 years old. Uh, he finally broke through at the Spanish Open last fall in what was his 185th career start on the PJ Tour. He then, a couple months later, birdied all four uh, uh, hole, the last four holes in Dubai to be among the top 10 players on the race to Dubai standings to then earn his PJ Tour card. All he's done in 2024 now is win uh, in his third career start uh, against a, a kind of an eclectic leaderboard on one of the PJ Tour's most stout courses. What else stood out to you from the week, either from uh, Pavon's performance or the rest of the leaderboard at Torrey Ponds? Uh, two headlines that I actually saw yesterday. One is Pavon becomes the first Frenchman since World War II to win on the PGA Tour. Had no idea that was the thing. Like, if you'd have asked me, I, I mean, again, I guess you, you should have known in the back of your mind, but World War II is a long, long time ago. 
So the idea that he did something that hasn't been done since then is really, really cool. The other one was another headline, and I'm not going to say the website that it was on, but it refers to the heroic shot that Pavan hit on the 18th hole, which is from the left rough. It was 145 yards, hits to about eight feet. Makes Phenomenal. Phenomenal shot. If that was a if that was Good a shot. Rory... would you call it heroic though? I'm I'm taking exception. I don't think it was a heroic shot. I don't know what what else was he going to do. Um, I mean he shot. you don't I mean, have he could, choice. He could have bailed out right. Certainly, he could have he could have bailed out right. Although, I mean, if he makes bogey, uh, knowing that Hogard was on the green and was most likely to two putt, he's going to lose by one. I I just love the fact that he took it on. He hit it in the exact spot that you need to that was going to feed towards the hole. He carried the water and he 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 pulled it off. I, I mean that that was a I don't know, I don't know about heroic. That was a phenomenal golf shot under the circumstances. A guy who was in his very first uh, attempt trying to chase down a PJ Tour title. The the rough was insanely juicy and to muscle it out of there in the absolute perfect spot. Golf shot. One of the one of the one of the shots of the year. Really good golf shot under the pressure, given the circumstances, everything that you just pointed out. Really good golf shot. Heroic? Mm, I don't know. I don't like that one. I'm going to go ahead and say, say no. Who was, the, who was the website? Who was the writer? Uh, I don't know. Who, which would the website be? Oh, I know where it was. It was uh, NBCSports.com backslash golf. Oh, no. Mm, you hate to see that. Yeah. Shout out Mercer Bags. Let's uh let's tag working. this one so we can get a good uh yeah, 2518. Make sure you scribble that down. Heroic. Uh, I don't I don't know about heroic. I would say gutsy. Uh gutsy, gutsy shot. Uh I mean there, there's a lot of things you can do. Like look, it was gritty. Stupid. I don't know. Gritty. I don't, even, I don't even know. Clutch. Like there's a bunch Clutch. of different ways you could do it. Sure. I, I am and I'm gonna channel my inner Eamon Lynch. My guess is you have to do a round table on Monday morning on golf today. So this will be one of Eamon Lynch's topics is not so much that Pavon won. It's what it means for those Europeans who now get tour cards. He finished. He actually edged out Rasmus Hoygaard to take that last tour card on the on the PGA Tour last year at the DP World Tour Championship. I, I'm going to say this: both sides of the Atlantic don't like this. The European Tour players essentially don't like it because they feel like it, it turned their circuit into an official feeder circuit for the PGA Tour. Can't really argue Fair. for that. Fair. On the American side, PGA Tour players don't like it because they're giving up ten tour cards. That's really, really hard. So both of those guys don't like it. It's one of the rare times when you have equal amount of hatred from both sides uh, of, of a situation. I, I would counter it and say that this week was, and not just because Pavon won, was a really good example of why they should have done this probably a long time ago. If you looked at that leaderboard, Jaeger, who is, look, he, he's, you know, he's, he's kind of like that Sepp Straka thing. Like he is European. He's a six-time, he's a six-time winner on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, yes, I, I, I get it. But you had Nikolai Hoygaard. You had, uh, obviously, Pavon. I mean, uh, the leaderboard was just riddled with Europeans. Now, Thomas, I'm not Thomas, Thomas Dietrich, who was in Dietrich. The, the, the same category. I mean, it was amazing when you sit and you look at it. it there's a lot of reasons. I, I understand why both sides don't like it. But if you need a really good example of why that kind of ends the conversation of why it's a good thing, there it is, right there. Toy Pines, Sunday, I, or, I'm sorry, Saturday afternoon. And you get to see exactly why this is important because those players and Pavon's probably not the player that I would be talking about in this particular situation, but Hoygaard certainly is. You don't want to create any sort of roadblocks for a player like that to run into that could, that could trip him up early in his career. And I'll give the PGA tour credit and the DP world tour credit. I mean, this had to be buy-in from both sides. And I'll be very curious to see what the retention rate is for those European tour graduates. You know, we, we look at it every year. 
on on the corn ferry tour, the guys who stick, the guys who are kind of in that middle, uh, kind of that that gray area for the for their entirety, whether they they move up, whether they move back. I, I do think there's the potential. Ten might be ten might be a little too many. Uh, I probably I probably side with with five, and I could understand why some PG Tour loyalists uh, are a little uh, are a little uh, fed up with PG Tour leadership at this point because those guys have priority over the corn ferry tour. That was kind of one of one of the big sticking points at the beginning of the season. If you were one of the top ten European tour players on the priority rankings, that was a higher than the the PJ Tour's own feeder system in the Corn Ferry Tour and those thirty graduates. Again, that's getting far too in, into the weeds. But Matthew Pavon's breakthrough at Tory Pines, uh, as well as Nikolai Holgard's uh, runner-up finish, I think was validation for this particular uh, system. I my, my big takeaway, actually, I had two of them. Nikolai Hogard's a stud. I mean, Rasmus, uh, his his twin brother, almost won on the DP World Tour in the exact same week. I love his swing. I love his game. Uh, I thought he was fantastic with Amanda Renner afterward uh, going into it. Uh, I hadn't heard him uh, in kind of a press conference setting all that much in my career. I was I was blown away uh, how, how articulate he was, how thoughtful he was. Uh, you can tell kind of the hunger that resides uh, within him. It's going to be great to see the Hogard twins both uh, on the PGA Tour, which I do think will happen uh, as early as 2025. But he is, I think, a, a, a great asset and just 22 years old. Dude's a stud. Also, secondly, Rex, I really like Torrey Pines. I, I, I'm not sure the architecture wonks uh, like it. It probably is a little bit one-dimensional. Uh, it's long. It's brutish. Uh, you have to uh, kind of pipe it off the tee. But I, I really think it'd be a shame if this tournament lost some of its luster, it no longer draws a top field. Uh, e- even if it, if it falls off what could eventually be a PJ tour slash world tour concept. I, I think it's, I think it's one of the PJ tours best courses. Uh, obviously the, the scenery uh, is, is outstanding, but there's, there's a punishment in it and, and, and a penalty for errant shots. That's what I think Tory Pines does best. We've seen it in major championships. We've seen it every year on the PJ tour schedule. I, I just, I, I really like watching PJ tour players play there. Uh, and it'd be a shame if, if somehow uh, that's, that's reduced over the next couple of years. I was, uh, I actually looked this up. The field this year, according to the world ranking is better than what it was last year. So keep in mind that we did have designated events, a little bit different scenarios than the signature events, the way they're spaced out, the fields, the way that works out. But I mean, I was kind of worried about the same thing that you just touched on the idea that somehow Tory Pines wouldn't be in this rotation of whatever a world tour world tour schedule is going to look like. And we're assuming that's the way we're heading. I, I can't imagine how Tory Pines isn't in that mix. Cause I'm with you. And I think we had this conversation over the first three weeks of the season when 20, 25, 30 under par was winning. And my comment was always, look, man, Tory Pines is just around the corner and then it's going to be Riviera. And then it's going to be Bay Hill. And then it's going to be TPC Sawgrass. Like, There's plenty of places where guys are going to have to grind and, and work hard. I don't mind the birdie fest. I, I will say this, and, and Todd Leonard, who is Golf Digest writer, longtime writer in San Diego, I actually wanted to get him on the record on this one. I'm more of a North Course guy. Like, I don't particularly like the South Course. I think I played it a few Wow. Years. See, I, I would actually go the opposite. I wish the tournament was 72 holes on the South Course. I don't mind. No, let me take that back. As a PGA Tour event, I, I really like the South Course. Like, I enjoyed, like, the views are great. Like, it, it's second to none. But it's sort of the shot making that it requires from a PGA Tour pro. We saw it. I mean, we just got through talking for five minutes about the way Pavan played the 18th hole. I, I'm speaking just personally. 
if I lived in San Diego, I'm probably not playing the South Courts very often. Like I oh I oh, play the North oh totally yeah oh yeah 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 it's it's much more fun. There's a, there's a greater variety. Uh, you still get some of the the, the crazy scenic shots. Uh, however, like the South Course doesn't look particularly fun, especially in tournament conditions where the rough is that thick and the fairways are that pinched. Like the 12th hole just looks just looks abysmal. It would if if you're if you're missing if you're missing the fairway at players at our level who cannot muster the swing speed uh, to to extricate balls from that thicker rough you'd you'd make seven eight or eight or nine it's just a dead straight hole with just nothing but thick rough like that doesn't look fun it doesn't no and, and I, I we can sit here and go through the tour schedule I I find most of the courses I enjoy are not the ones that are the major championship test anyways which is probably not a surprise given the state of my game. Uh, Rex, I do think when you get to this world tour concept, like they're, they're going to have to really think through this. I, this is actually my favorite part of the PJ tour schedule is, is right now. I know a lot of people like the Florida swing cause it's getting you excited for the masters. Uh, obviously people like, uh, the travelers championship and the Memorial and the Canadian open. Like, I think that's a decent swing as well. You and I both love our Fortnite uh, in, in Scotland or England uh, with the Scottish open leading in. The Open Championship, the FedEx Cup playoffs are great, but I, I I love this. I love the I love the the two events in Hawaii. Uh, PJ West is kind of nostalgic for me. My grandparents lived uh, right down the street, and then you get into the stretch now uh, with Torrey Pines, then Pebble, then Phoenix, then Riv. Like this is the best part of the PJ Tour schedule. While over in Europe, they're going to want to stake their claim to to Abu Dhabi and Dubai as well uh, to begin the, the season. So I think that's something. To figure out, I'm not sure if I'm in the minority and think this is the best stretch of the PJ Tour season, but I can't get enough golf uh, over these next couple of weeks. I just wish it was completely separate from football, as a as a as opposed to kind of uh, dividing our attention. I'm I'm with you. The interesting thing is, I mean, it, during my career as a journalist, not yours, but during my career as a journalist, the West Coast swing struggled. Like they had to come up with a point system and a way to reward players for playing on the West Coast because everyone was starting to gravitate towards Florida, getting ready for the Masters. I think it had a lot to do with the Tiger Woods effect because Tiger sort of had a very clear schedule and he didn't deviate from that. And he had a lot of success. So I think players sort of started to follow his lead. It's gone completely the other way now. Like, I don't know. And look, this is a little bit different because of the times we live in, but we talked about how hard it was for guys to get into Sony. Like it, it was a really, really good field at Sony. I think Torrey Pines was better than I expected. The American Express was better than I expected. Yes. Next week, at Pebble, you're right. Like it's just, it's a really cool part of the schedule for a lot of reasons. One, I love the primetime finishes. Two, I don't know that you can really compare the golf courses. Like I think this string of golf courses is probably the best collection we see on tour all season long. Rex, you're hitting the road on Monday morning. We're not going to get into the potential PGA Tour deal. We're not going to get into Live Golf. We're not even going to get into a Pebble preview because you and I will be tackling that uh, in the Wednesday podcast. But before we get out of here, Anything else on your mind for this edition? Uh, no, I'm a little surprised you're not outside. Today, we're we're taping this on Sunday because clearly the PGA Tour event ended on Saturday. It's a conference championship Sunday. It's a big day for both of us. You were firing up the grill. You were getting stuff ready. Is there a reason why we didn't do it live from the back porch? Uh, yes, because that is where uh, my two mongrels are currently devouring. Your beautiful uh, children, you mean? Yep. Their Lunchables, yes. Uh, exactly. This is definitely like an intricate dance of trying to get the ribs that I'm smoking done today at a proper time while still doing uh, our work obligations 
and firing off this podcast. And so before you and I hopped into the StreamYard record, I was I was rushing outside. I was throwing the charcoal down. I was I was gassing it up, getting that ready to go. I threw on four splits. Those hopefully are burning down to coals as we speak. And at that point, hopefully I've got the smoker running from 250 to 275, and we'll be able to start the rib process and pull those off around 4 or 5 o'clock, which should be midway through what hopefully is a great Chiefs Ravens game. What do you have, Rex? Uh, I'm doing ribs as well, and then they wanted burnt ends. So I'm going to do pork belly burnt ends again. So it's a little bit of a juggling act. So I'm with you. I'm, the timing of it's kind of tough. Don't scorch them. Don't scorch them. I know uh, you had. No, no, no. I, I figured that part They actually have to almost under smoke them is what I discovered. Because then you like you yeah because you're gonna kind of i'm after i smoke them or i flash fry them very very quickly and then then you kind of put them in the oven and let them cook the rest of the way uh those do sound delicious i look forward to your snappy chats folks it could be a busy few days in the world of golf so in the meantime in between our two podcast records make sure you guys go to nbcsports.com slash golf for our latest news and updates from the world of golf. As previously mentioned, Rex and I will be back on Wednesday. He will be at Pebble. I will be in my home studio. We'll fire off another preview podcast as well as catch up to any updates that have been on the PJ Tour. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you have a great rest of the weekend. We'll talk to you in a couple of days.